that one just had written down mixed quartet. So I think I will give them, before they get up next time, an opportunity to give me a name for their quartet or I will assign one. Okay, our text is Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. As I preach a sermon titled, What Are You Trying to Accomplish? Sometimes we just kind of get lost along the line don't remember. Uh, I think of the man that said, I'd give my right arm to be ambidextrous. That goes over people's heads, you know, but... Uh, when he wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning, ladies, you'll know what he's laughing about, okay? But uh, you wonder, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, that's kind of the idea here that we want to look at tonight in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thought of foolishness is sin. You see that? So, you know, our idea of sin is so much different than God's. And he says even the thought of foolishness is sin. And the scorner is an abomination to men. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray now as we look into your word, I pray that you'd make it clear and understandable to everyone tonight. I pray that if there's one, again, without Christ, they'll come to know Christ as Savior. But I especially pray that this would glorify your name, uplift your name, the Word of God, edify the saints, and strengthen us, Lord. Help us to see areas in where we are weak. May thy Spirit show us, Lord, those things through the preached Word tonight, and help us to know exactly what to do in our personal lives about it. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. It was about a year or two, I'm not sure when, but about one or two years after I'd taken over as senior pastor here at Central Baptist Church, I had a great idea. I mean, this idea was a knockout. I mean, I wrote it out, and I introduced it to the deacons. And they were all on board. They said, man, that's a great idea, except one deacon. Brother Jim Peebles, I tell you what. Now, he's one that said, no, that won't work. And I said, well, why? And he told us why. And you know what? He was exactly right. <laughs> and, and what made me really feel bad is I said, how was I so dumb and ignorant to miss that? It, was, it just stood out. After he said it, it stood out. Okay, oh, man, I could see it then that, wow, that is, he's right. 
And, and boy, I tell you what, you feel you're, you're really humbled by something like that. But Brother Jim, he's been on the deacon board over 50 years now. We're going to let him off it when he reaches 100. But uh, I keep him on the deacon board for reasons just like that that kind of wisdom. You see, what I was doing is I was looking at the immediate impact, but Brother Jim was looking to the end of the accomplishment. And it would not have been good. I, to this day, I cannot remember what it was. I honestly can't. So I'm glad I do have a forgetter in some things, okay? And I'm glad I have a forgetter in that. But uh, that was something that I learned from that. So as we Look at this passage before us. Let's keep it in mind as we go verse by verse. What are you trying to accomplish? That's the thing. What are we trying to accomplish? Accomplishing something good begins with having the right kind of people around you. Now, we see in verses 1 and 2, you have the wrong kind of people. Verse 1 said, be not envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Now, I I am blessed because I have some good people around me. I mean, whether it's in the school, the church, whatever, I've got some good people around me, and, and praise God for each of them. But I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Why would we be envious of evil men? And I believe the Bible shows us a little bit of that in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Remember the parable of the seeds being scattered? And some was on the rocky ground, and some fell on rocks, you know, and, and then others fell among the thorns. And only one-fourth of those seeds landed on good ground, and they produced big time. I mean, 60 up to 100-fold. But the ones on the... Uh, Thorny ground is what I'm looking at in Luke 8, 14. He says, And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. Sometimes, as a saved person, it's those very things that make us to begin to desire or be envious of evil people and what they have. Sometimes those things are cares. It may have something to do with your family in which you compromise the holy and righteous for peace in the family. We figure, well, it's not that bad to compromise the holy and righteous, but when we do, we destroy the foundations. Now, folks, there is no place for a divided heart between the world and God. The Lord tells us that he spews that kind out of his mouth. He's going to spew you onto the world side because as far as he's concerned, you make a choice with him. Okay? And even as Christians, we make a choice. And so we've got to decide whether God is first or family is first. And although a lot of us will say God is first, Sometimes we will compromise God and his word in order to have peace in the family. That is never, 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 never right. It is always, always sin when you compromise God's word and God's holiness. Always. Now, you won't be able to disagree with me on that because I'm just the messenger. Okay? You disagree with the Lord on that. 
So make sure you know who you're disagreeing with. Sometimes it's the riches uh, and associations with the wrong people that'll take you actually from God's house or his work. Some people get taken from the work God would have them to do in a church because, well, you know what? If, if I'm going to have uh, this kind of money coming in, I've got to go and meet these kind of people, even if it's at the expense of the worship of God and serving him through his house. And, of course, uh, they get to investing more in their riches than they do into the eternal riches of God. Now, don't get me wrong. You've got jobs, and your jobs call for you to be working. There are people that are work, there are people that are policemen today. They're working. There are people that are firemen. They're working. There are people that have jobs that it's calling for them to work today. Okay, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that go out and make contacts when they don't have to, seeking to get ahead of somebody they're working with already. I always going on things like that, and it's the riches itself promotion. Then there are the pleasures of this life. And many other Christians are, are falling for it today. And so you want to be accepted group. Hey, they're Christians. And they're doing it, and I want to be accepted with them. But again, it's at the expense of ministry. It's the expense of souls in hell. And so because of that, the pleasures of this life take you from God's house that you might have some kind of a joy in it. And yet, you know those short joys are short-lived? That's the difference between the joy of the Lord and the joy of the world. The joy of the world seems to have some kind of an enthusiasm about it, and then it's gone. It's like, you know, we have these hurricanes with buckle down and get everything tied down and ready for it to blow through, but it's through. You know, we act like it's going to Come and settle down here for 10 days, and that's, it's through in just a few hours. The joy of the Lord is forever. And once you receive Christ, you have the, the very breath, the very wind, which the Holy Spirit, the word spirit in the Bible is actually the same word that's many times translated wind, breath. And what we're finding is, is that that breath, that wind, when you receive Christ as Savior, stays with you forever because that's the breath of life. And he gives it to us. And so we have that. So many times people are doing things for immediate impact. Unfortunately, it leads to eternal failure and saved so as by fire. We look at America and the churches. They're filled with rock and roll. They're, they're dressed as if when they go to church as if they're going to play ball, tennis or something else or even going to the beach. There are Christian colleges that at one time were known as fundamental. Now they have professors who are justifying and writing books on why it's okay to social drink. We have in America going on gay marriage, but you know what? Now the churches are saying, well, you know what? We've got to have classes. We've got to have for things, and they don't. And I, I don't mind them having classes for gay people as long as they're telling them this, this is sin, this is wrong. We're going to try to take you out of it. But you see, they, 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 no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. 
Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, such were some of you. America's getting close to what Corinth was in that day. And they had a problem with homosexuality. And, and, and yet some people got saved out of that. We, we look at the country today and we complain about the morals and wonder, how did America get this way? Well, perhaps our churches are little more than party times and social clubs instead of making us more holy and acceptable unto God. I was talking to Brother Ketchum down here this, morning, uh, this evening for church, and he was talking about that very thing. Churches don't meet on Sunday night and on Wednesday night anymore. Why? Because you only can have one comedy hour a week, you know. You can only have one rock and roll concert a week. Uh, don't get into the Word of God. On the other hand, you've got preachers that are, uh, churches that are giving you book reports instead of preaching the Word. We've got to stick with the Word of God. So instead of making me more holy and acceptable unto God, what we're finding is that we're doing things that just 30 years ago we'd said would never happen in the life of the church, let alone the life of individual Christians. Why do we expect the morals of America to be better than they are when the churches are as they are today? It can't be. It just can't be. See, preachers need to rail today continually. We need to go right back to it because so many places, even our fundamental churches, it's not there any longer. We need to rail against alcohol. And I'm not talking about just drunkenness. I'm talking about social drinking too. We need to rail against the movies. We need to rail against the immodest dress. We need to rail against the filthy cussing language that Christians are using today. Homes that are greatly lacking in standards so that their children will be liked. I have a friend of mine that he is definitely not us. I mean, in his faith and so forth like that, they... He's more along the line with the charismatics and the contemporary movement. But we grew up together as friends, and, and so he's still in that. And, and he has worked for Turner uh, Classic Movies. He's uh, the various TV places, Turner, and, and things like that. Now he's a freelance, both uh, stage director as well as one that works cameras. And he works in about two or three different churches a week, just volunteers that for them when they have those things like that. And I said, well, what about when they're doing that dancing up there? I, I says, what's that like? He says, well, the guys are on their headphones and the camera's going all around the church. And he says, they're talking about, check out the one on uh, third from the left, the one with the tights. Check out that one. Check out this one. And they're checking, the, but it's a religious dance. Why can't you get something from the Word of God? Why does somebody have to get up and expose their body in such a way that it that it stirs the lust of men? I mean, why is it that we'll put little kids in, in tights and say, okay, we're going to teach them how to dance. Boy, this will really be a good thing. And yeah, then you'll have those uh, predators that are around there enjoying it too. Amen. Just keep preaching that way. Okay. 
Now look, folks. What I'm saying right now seems hard, but just 30 years ago, it barely scratched the surface in a fundamental church. And what has changed? It's not the Word of God. It's not the Word of God. You grow envious because they have things that you'd like to have. By the way, there are preachers who once had a semblance of standards who have sold them that they might be more like the Rick Warrens and the Joel Osteens and have the things that they have. Well, listen, my God is not for sale, and the doctrines of his word are not for sale, especially when he says as he has exalted his name even above his, his word even above his name, should I say, in Psalms 138 too. So why are we trying to sell it? Why are we trying to change what he has already said that is exalted even above that name? The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That great name of God and we are trying to change the word that he has exalted above his name. You see, worldly wisdom is utter foolishness with God. Now, if you desire to be with them, you'll find that their heart seeks destruction of right ways and doctrines, and their lips talk of mischief. They try to bring down those that are true to the Word of God and true churches. <coughs> now, listen, what I've found in these kind of folks, they will lie, they will attack, they will say things, they'll run things down. <laughs> Look at the standards of that Central Baptist Church. They preach against so What's wrong with just taking a drink? What's wrong with just taking a smoke? What's wrong with just doing this? What's wrong with just doing that? You know, look, they're just a bunch of legalists over there. And it reminds me of 1 John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where it talks about the people of the world. They talk of the things of the world, and those that are of God talk of the things of the Spirit. So if they're of the world and they're trying to use the Bible, they're trying to justify works of the flesh like drinking, like dancing, like smoking, like everything else. And they're trying to bring down the standards. They'll lie because they have a communistic thought of Marxism that says the end justifies the means. We're trying to bring this ministry down. We don't want it to be that way. And so they're trying to bring those kind of things down. And when these things happen... They're trying to accomplish that, which gives them a thrill, but has no eternal value at, it, at, at all within it. And those are things that will not give you holy confidence at his appearing. We've got to be true to the word. Sometimes... People associate with different things. Sometimes they'll associate with a college, and, 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 and they'll come in, well, my college said this, and so I went to that Christian college. That's what they say, and so what you're doing is wrong. And, and you know, that's one of the things. Now, we, we have a, probably a great set of teachers this year, and I'm thankful for them. They're great. You know, they're wanting to say, hey, let's do it right. And, but, you know, when you bring them in, they've got, they're from different Christian colleges. 
Well, our Christian college told us this, so that's the way you're supposed to do it. Well, our Christian college told us that the way you're supposed to do it. No, God told us how to do it, and we're going to do it God's way. Okay, that's the way you do it. You do it God's way. And so we follow that direction. And so a lot of people, they have to turn. Sometimes, I don't think there's much of a turn, but they have to turn to do things where they are, where God has called them to be. And that happens across the board. And, and so uh, sometimes they'll, they'll, uh, people will get in that and they'll try to bring down a pastor, they'll try to bring down a ministry, they'll try to bring down a, a music director, somebody else. Why? And because they want it their way, but they weren't willing to build something their way. Because their way does not build. Uh, you'll rarely see these people go out and witness. You know what I've found over the years? Is that the people that cause the most problems are not at visitation. They're not bringing souls to church with them. Unless it's a relative from out of town. I'm just observing. They're not giving out tracts. So how in the world can they really make a statement about anything? Well, they see something and they want to take it over. And I'm not talking about Central Baptist. I'm talking about anywhere. You see, their heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. I remember all back in the 80s, Charismatics had a plan. They wanted churches speaking in tongues and all that, so they sent people out in churches that become good Baptists, become good Methodists, become good Presbyterians, and try to bring their doctrine in there, talking one-on-one to individuals to cause division. More recently, it's the Calvinists are trying to do the same thing. Well, you know what, uh, this and that... uh, they're wrong on that. And they're trying to bring it down. The, the contemporary movement tries that. And it's going to be all around you. They're always trying to bring it down. And they may be people that do love God, but they don't know the word of God. And so the flesh gets ahead of the spirit, and that always leads to failure. Now let's move along here. Secondly, we see accomplishing something good calls for having the right kind of wisdom and purpose. And that's seen in verses 3 through 7. And I want to look at these as you might say quick hits uh, as we consider these verses. Verse 3, through wisdom is an house divided and by understanding it is established. Now wisdom is the knowledge of right and wrong with just judgment as to action. That is biblical action and biblical judgment. We find that The Bible speaks of understanding, wisdom and understanding. It kind of puts them together. Understanding is perception and discernment, perceiving that truth that may lie deep where people just see the surface of the truth and don't see the depths of it. Discernment, being able to discern when something's good or bad. For example, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then you go to Proverbs 8 and verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, the evil way, the forward mouth do I hate. So when you see what the Lord says is evil and what the Lord says is wisdom, and then he tells us in Job chapter 28 and verse 28 that it is understanding to depart from evil, then you know a wise man will say, well, that's wrong, and so his action is to depart from it. A man of understanding can also perceive 
before it's really known that something, what's behind it or what lies in the surface of it and say, you know what, they've said some good words, but this is not good. I, I've had that happen, perhaps I, probably m most of you, if not all of you, have had this happen. Something's come up and you knew it was wrong, but you didn't have a scripture right at the moment, but you knew it was wrong. God eventually gives you the scriptures to study the word and stay in the word, but because you have his spirit, he gives you understanding because you don't want to mess up. And so, you stay in that word and all of a sudden he'll give that perception. If you seek to know the holiness of God and his purity, then you'll right away, without a scripture verse even, understand why something is wrong, you see. And that happens so often. And so again, wisdom and understanding is always something that works the opposite of evil if it's godly wisdom and understanding and not worldly. You can see why verses 1 and 2 then are opposite of this, okay? See, verse 1 and 2, well, we've got to have only positive things, you know. So verse 3 said there again, through wisdom is a house builded. You realize that the house that you're building is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye are. See, it's talking about you individually. And that temple which you are, as Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Why? Because your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so, you want to build that house rightly, and he will send you to build heavenly, biblical, holy materials. And then it is established. And then you're going to one day hear, well done, as you live by that and go by that and have confidence at his appearing. Verse 4 says, and by knowledge shall the chambers thereof be filled with precious and pleasant riches. Again, and by the knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The chambers. Okay, the house, the body, what are the chambers? It's the inner man. You might call it the inner sanctum if you want to sound educated, I guess. But whatever we're going to call that. That inner man. And that's the inner man that gets the pleasant riches. The precious riches. Knowledge of the holy in his word, as 2 Peter 3.18 tells us and commands us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is wisdom that applies it, uh, the Word of God to life decisions and understanding that perceives and discerns between good and bad. Precious and pleasant riches begin with the beauty of holiness. The Bible speaks of crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, the incorruptible crown. A man must strive lawfully. In other words, holily as a Christian. Standard. If you bring in the world, you mix in the world, you don't win. It's like running in a race and you decided, you know, you're running that big track, you're running in quarter mile, but halfway through, you cut all the way through the middle of the field and get on the other side to try to win. And at my age, that's what I would need to have just to even finish. But I'm saying is, is that here you have a way to run the race. And there are rules for it, and that's what he said. By the Bible has given us the rules of running this life, this race. 
Now, people say, well, you know, the Old Testament, that's legalistic. No, it's not. It identified sin. It identified sin. The Lord didn't say, I'm going to give you a list of legalist things. We're not going to be very legalistic. The Lord didn't tell Moses that. He said, I'm going to give you the law of God because it's holy. Romans in the New Testament, that must be one of the parts uh, the people don't like to be in there because it says the law is holy. The law is not legalistic, it's holy. Now, we don't observe the various things of today of the law that are ceremonial. We don't offer sacrifices, and there's things that we don't do because Christ has fulfilled the law. But I still know that by the word of God that it's still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to steal. But if you're going to be consistent, say it's legalistic, that Old Testament, then you've got to take it all that way and just say, okay, boy, they got it wrong there. It's not legalistic to kill anybody. We've got liberty. As dumb as that sounds, and it is dumb, that is exactly the position they're taking by saying, that's legalistic. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, I don't even believe we're living in the day of grace. I think grace started with the beginning of the fall of man, and the Lord provided the way, and we've been in grace ever since. There's just different ways, as, not different ways of salvation, but I'm saying it's all through Jesus Christ. But before the law, Abraham, there's those people. And then the law, and then after the law, there's us. We're leave, living under a new covenant. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. The old covenant was done away with the new covenant. But look, understand, the old covenant said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's pretty strong. The new covenant is stronger. You shall love one another as I, Jesus, have loved you. Whew. That's legalistic if you're going to call things legalistic. Because it's even stronger than the law. It's demanding things that the law didn't. <laughs> Not just to love one as you love yourself, but to love as Jesus loves. You better decide that before you make a statement, does it line up with the Word of God? The Word of God gives us the final authority in all things. So again, we look at verses 3 and 4. And that's how you build the inner man. That's how you build this temple of God. Verse 5, a wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases strength. Who do we do all things through? Christ. Christ. That's why in, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But knowing him, that isn't intimate. I mean, if the Apostle Paul says, boy, I don't know him well enough as I need to know him. If he needs to know him, I need to know him. More, I, yeah, I know him as my Savior. I know him as my Lord. But there's so much of the person of Christ that I don't know. You see, I, I wrote this down. A naturalistic world is not brought to repentance and faith by materialistic and philosophical churches and Christians. The chambers of your body, as we said in Romans 12, 1, need to be filled with the holy and pleasant riches of his holy grace found only 
in his word and effective only as it is applied to our lives. That your very bodies may worship him in the beauty of holiness as a living sacrifice. I do all things through Christ, not my own strength. Strong men are needed. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Well, how did he stand? Through Christ, he said, the Lord strengthened me. And that by me, the preaching might be known, but he gave the glory to God because that's the only way that he could do it. Do we really want America to have revival? Well, we need to begin to evaluate our standards and our rules of living, our personal life, our home. You see, we make a big mistake today. We ask, is it wrong instead of saying, is it holy? That's the question to ask. Is it holy and righteous before God? Because we're told in Ephesians 4.24 to put on the new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness. So if we're going to do it God's way, the question is not to ask yourself, well, is this really wrong? No. Ask it, is it really righteous and truly holy? God tells us to ask that question. So why don't we just follow God's wisdom? And help to bring this country back to righteousness and true holiness, we have to start in the churches. We need to constantly ask ourselves, will it be holy and acceptable unto God what I'm doing in this flesh? Because we're to present our bodies holy and acceptable unto Him. Do we cower when people mock and scorn, whether it's your church, your Bible, or your Christian standards? Do we cower when the world takes His name in vain? We need strength. We can't expect revival or evangelism if we don't know how to stand in the strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Now you make war. Make war by wise counsel. But we need to see two verses about this wise counsel and counselors and counseling. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is a counselor. But what about the Word of God? What is our counselors? Psalms 1, 19, 24, Thy testimonies, speaking of the Bible, thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Jesus is the great counselor, and he's given us his word as counselors. We make the sport spiritual warfare using the word of God, not the marketing methods of men, not the philosophies of men. We use the word of God. Now, we're in a Christian warfare. In Ephesians 6, 9, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 19, Talks about the weaponry. I mean, we've got that of prayer. We've got the helmet of salvation. But we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. And my friend, that is the Word of God. Preachers are commanded and will give an account before God, according to 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, to preach the Word. 
I find it interesting that Jesus, when Satan attacked him in the wilderness and again in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the word that was used to fight the devil. Paul, as he stood before councils being accused, he would say, I stand on this word, and he'd quote to them the promises of God from God's word. Jesus and Paul, for that matter, then used the word to defend against the attack over the years. And you know what? I find that when you do use the word of God to defend yourself, just like in Jesus' day and like in Paul's day, people get mad. They get upset with that. But you see, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to pulling down the strongholds. If the Word of God will support a stand that you take because you're taking the stand on the Word of God, then stand with it. It's not wrong to use the Word of God to stand for righteousness and true holiness. It's never wrong. What, 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 are, what are their weapons? Accusation, lying. Why? Because the devil's the father of lies. And he's accusing the brethren night and day. Does that not make sense? Why not use the word of God to be our, our weaponry that we use? Stand on it. Stand on its doctrine. Stand on its truth. In that way you make your war. Never forsake the study of God's word on a daily basis. Also another reason that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, is because we're to be where the Word of God is taught because God provided teachers for the local church that the people might be taught the Word of God. And yet, He wants us to meditate ourselves in the Word of God. Verse 7 says, Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. Remember in, in, in James 4, 7 and 8, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. How about 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 9? The devil is a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. We've got an enemy out there, whether we realize it or not. And so our responsibility is to say, all right, the foolish will not stand with God, but then he can't open his mouth in the gate. In other words, he can't stand before God and make these accusations because we have the great intercessor, the great lawyer of eternity. There's a wisdom of the world and there's a wisdom of God. In Proverbs 21, 30, it says, there is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. So stick with the word. There's no wisdom nor counsel uh, against the Lord. There's, there's no understanding against the Lord. So stick with the word because this is his mind. When you're reading the word of God, you're reading what God is thinking. So look in there each day to see what he's thinking. Safety is of the Lord. This world is not my home. The apostle said, "For me to live is die, but uh, for me to live is uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain." Live for Jesus. It's sustaining while we're here, and it's gain when we leave. You can't beat that. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, what do people say bad things about me? Well, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They will say bad things about you. They'll lie about you. They'll do all kinds. But that's all right. 
What those people don't know, just tear them apart if they knew this, that they're building a reward in heaven. Because Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus himself, I don't think Jesus lies to you. I know he doesn't. He says, rejoice when all men speak evil of you. And say all matters of evil against you falsely for his name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. And those people don't know that they're being used to build your reward. So just stick with the word. Stick with the word. If they're saved, they'll get over it. If not here, up there, they'll be over it. Accomplishing something good then has the right kind of people. It has the right kind of wisdom and purpose. And finally, it discerns between godliness and the enemy in verses 8 through 10. There are enemies, but don't focus on them. We have the Lord. Focus on him. He that devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person, verse 8 says. We already looked at 1 John 4, verses 5 and 6. One way you tell them is the mischievous person. He always is trying to justify the flesh and trying to use the word of God to justify fleshly actions. The spiritual man is looking how he can further the gospel of Jesus Christ in true holiness, righteousness and true holiness. And it's the difference. The Bible lets us know that. Psalms 145, verse 17 is very clear. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. If you want to measure something, look at it and say, hmm, is that righteous and holy? If it's not, then you know that's not a way to go. But, boy, the accomplishment is something good, though. Oh, yeah, the, that's Marxism. The end justifies the means. You need to decide whether I'm going to go with Marxism or Bibleism. Okay. Although the Bible's not an ism. It's absolute truth. Verse 9 says, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. You say, why do people run down the fundamental church? Why would they run down a place like Central Baptist Church or Ocala Christian Academy and the other ministries, the radio and the music and the other ministries? Why would they run that out? Why do they say bad things about it? Well, we're just told there. Foolishness and scorning. That's not of God. It's not of God at all. Stick with the Word. Stick with the Lord. Do God's will, God's way, and do it in God's timing. And it's always, always, always right. Verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If you quit on being true to the fundamentals of the faith, being true to the local church where God has placed you that still stands on the word of God, still preaches the word of God, keeps the holiness of God. If you quit on that, you are the one that's part of the hindrance to revival and what will bring destruction to the lives of others. So what are you trying to accomplish in your life? Look at these verses. Go back and say, if everything is to be holy and acceptable to God, if it's to be in righteousness and true holiness, what are the things that I'm doing? Are they just simply religious? 
Are they simply things that other people are doing, so I'm doing them too? Or do they have an eternal, holy, righteous accomplishment that will lead to well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, there are crowns. We mentioned the incorruptible crown. What about the crown of glory? One that, that edifies fellow believers in true holiness and righteousness in the word of God. What about the crown of rejoicing that witnesses the gospel to an unsaved world? You know, a lot of us say that we believe in a free will, but we're practicing Calvinism because we won't witness. And so there's a crown of, there's a crown of, of, of rejoicing for the one that witnesses, not for the one that says, well, they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved, I can't do anything about it. What about the crown of righteousness? The crown of righteousness. You know, he fought the good fight. He didn't, it's a good fight. He didn't try to bring in the world to fight that fight, the flesh. It was the good fight. He finished the course. He knew God's will for his life and he didn't abandon it. He kept the faith. He never compromised the word of God. There's a crown of righteousness. Why? Because he says in that verse, Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse eight, he says, "For and for all those that love God, see, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, finishing your course, all of that, all of that, is a love issue for God. There's the crown of life." The man that did not allow afflictions, did not allow personal attacks, did not allow problems in life to keep him from staying with the call and the will of God. A crown of life. So again, what are you trying to accomplish? And are there crowns in what you're trying to accomplish? Because the only way you accomplish that and reach those crowns is doing God's will, God's way, in God's timing. Let's bow our heads, please.